I didn't say I wanted to preach on that subject while the congregation was asleep. I'll preach as a dying man to dying men. We are getting our ideas from the Bible. We are taking the listeners for a swim in the text. We believe that only God makes a preacher, but we want to help him be more faithful. This is the Verse by Verse Preaching Podcast with host, Pastor Rob Ginter. Like, if, you know, like, if you like, um, um, well, uh, if you, yeah. Uh, so if that drives you crazy, just imagine the people who have to hear it in your sermon. That's what we're talking about today, speech disfluencies with Dr. Brian Chappell. You might remember Dr. Chappell from episodes 19 and 20 in which we talked about illustrating the truth in your sermon. You can find those archives and all the archives online at goversebyverse.com slash podcast. Dr. Brian Chappell, welcome back to the Verse by Verse Preaching Podcast. Thank you, Rob. Good to be back with you. Today we're talking about a um, um, uh, very difficult subject for preachers and public speakers, that being speech disfluencies. Help us understand what it is. Well, we need to be careful, Rob, honestly. I think if you would talk to people who are in the field of speech therapy, speech disfluency most often is associated with stuttering. And you and I are not talking about that. So we are talking about, as it were, things that keep us from being fluent when we are preaching. And that is a a greater range subject. But I do want to be clear that I'm certainly no expert on uh, what is a a very specific field in speech therapy of speech disfluency. Uh, If you have a child who stutters, and I do, or did, I should say, we we know that term in kind of a different context. So you and I are talking about the things that keep us from being fluent when we preach. And uh, am am I on your subject when I say that? Absolutely. So how do we figure out if we have one of any of those? <laughs> yeah. Well, you have to go through the, the awful torture, and it is torture, of recording yourself, and then, and then what is even worse, listening or watching yourself. <laughs> and, and it is, oh, it is so painful. And if you are uh, doing the, verbal, the nonverbal pauses, and, and by that I, I, I meant that there is some sort of... Um, utterance where there should be a pause, right? So most people have the, the non-word, that is the non-verbal utterance when they should be pausing by being afraid of the space. And so they will fill the pause with some form of non-verbal utterance, which can be, uh, um, you know, you know, all of those uh, non-verb, non complete words that fill the spaces. Now, we want to be clear, natural speech does have nonverbal utterance. So it is not wrong to have a pause, well, um, let me think. I mean, that, that sort of communicative, I'm thinking about something, so I say, um, is not the same as disfluency in which we are doing repetitive, non-purposeful, keyword, non-purposeful, nonverbal utterance. So if we are saying um many times in the course of a message, and it can be a lot. Now, Rob, I even hate telling you this, but I, I had to do it for some of my students at times. I would just start making, as I was listening to their messages, I was just start making a hash mark for every um or uh that they would say. 
And oftentimes they did not know that they were doing it at all. And I would come up with hundreds in the course of a message that's, to, um, uh, 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 you know, and they would even not know they're doing it. And so to identify it was painful, a little embarrassing, but almost everybody, once they identify it, can correct it. They just need to be aware of it. And so uh, becoming aware is the key thing. And that usually means <laughs> you don't want your wife to make you aware of it. Um, you, better to record yourself <laughs> and, then, and then go through that painful process of watching. Now, um, I, I want to be really clear. Not all nonverbal utterance that fills pauses is wrong. I mean, that can just make us nervous to say every time I say uh or um, that's a mistake. Normal speech involves some nonverbal utterance. In fact, you'll find some homileticians say the mark of somebody who's very comfortable in the pulpit, very at ease, is their willingness to make nonverbal utterance. Listen to Swindoll. And, you know, he's just so at ease in the pulpit. And he'll go, oh, I just had the one. Oh, let me, oh, let me just tell you. Well, oh is not a word. <laughs> but <laughs> what's he saying? He's saying, I am so comfortable. And, of course, he laughs at his own jokes in the pulpit. And laughter is not a word. And, you know, what's he doing? He's putting people at ease. And he's saying, I'm very comfortable up here. But that's different than the opposite. I'm uncomfortable. So every time that I should pause, I say, uh, 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 you know, you know, uh, uh, and that's when people now get nervous for you because this nonverbal utterance is repetitive. It is filling what should be a pause, which would be the norm in normal speech. So instead of pausing, which would be normal, you're filling it with an uh or an um or a you know. And that sounds like nervousness rather than at ease. Now, I mentioned Swindoll. Swindoll is great for laughter and ooh, and you know, all, all his little nonverbals that show he's at ease. One of the interesting people for me in, in this day and age, and as we're talking, Rob, he's actually quite ill at this point, is Tim Keller. And uh, you know, I've known Tim for decades. And curiously, before he became uh, so well known, for his uh, cultural engagement uh, preaching, he preached actually more traditionally and more formally in some of his early uh, pastorates. And if you listen to Tim in those uh, sermons of decades old, he's actually much more formal than he is now. And um, I usually, and see, I just did an uh right there. I, I usually tell my students the mark of nervousness is when you begin a sermon with, um, um, what I want to talk about today is um, how the Lord is going to take, um, you know, all the ums and, you know, or anything that starts a message other than the actual words that you should be saying. But if you listen to Tim Keller, who may be one of the most listened to preachers of our age, how does he usually start his sermon? He'll say, um, I want to. I want to. Um, I want to talk to you today about. Um, <laughs> and and what he's doing actually, without thinking about it, it's not planned. It's it, it is he's he's putting people at ease, and he's just kind of welcoming them into a 
an informal conversation that's going to become more formal as he goes. But Tim is perfectly at ease. And that's different than a preacher who's starting out who just sounds nervous because he can't quite say the first words. And so the first words are, you know, or something like that. That is, again, that not nonverbal. It's, it's not a, a, a word that is actually communicating a truth at that point. It's just nerves coming out. So I've, I've said probably already more than I know on the subject, Rob, but <laughs> I, I do know that the, the painful thing to do is actually to listen to yourself, watch yourself, and say, am I saying things repetitively that are not actually communicating words? Is there some gum we can chew or a patch we can wear to help us break this habit? <laughs> I don't know it. Do you, do you know a gum that you could? I don't know it. Now, um, you can, of course, plant people in the congregation to, to raise their hand or wink at you if you're, if you're caught in a pattern. You can also put things in your notes. And um, no, there are different types of disfluency. So you and I have talked about what are known as nonverbal pauses. I mean, that's kind of where we've been so far. And nonverbal pauses are instead of pausing, and you know, if you want, want to underline something in a message, one way is to speak very loudly or very enthusiastically, but another way to speak with great emphasis in a message is actually to pause. <laughs> and when you pause, you watch those heads come up and go, whoa, whoa, what? what's he talking about? You know, a pause is like underlining something. So if you fill all the pauses, you're actually creating this um, non-broken field of expression that means there's actually nothing that people can distinguish in what you're saying because there are no pauses. In order for people to distinguish thought, they have to hear the thought broken up. And if you have no pauses, that occurs, which means another form of disfluency is rapid speech. And so we, by the way, that's more common than um, when we start preaching, preaching slowly. Most of us preach too fast when we start preaching, right? We, we want to say 55 minutes of information in 30 minutes of time. And so we, you know, we've written all that material. And it's all such great thought. We don't know what to eliminate. And so we just speak very quickly. And people just glaze over because everything has equal weight. It's just this machine gun of material coming at people. And they can't hear it because there's no emphasis. Everything is said rapidly and therefore of relatively equal weight. So we need to learn to pause. And in my, in my preaching, I don't know, Rob, if you've done this, I would write into my notes the word pause, pause. <laughs> I would also sometimes write smile. <laughs> I would sometimes write, now this shows my generation, I would, because I'm so intense when I preach, particularly as a young man, I would just not let up on people. You know, I've given 30 minutes of machine gun material. And I had to start writing at the top of some pages, mellow out. <laughs> but, you know, smile, mellow out, love people. And I have written that in my notes at times. Love them, you know, love. I, I, have, I get so intense that I, I have to put my own, this is not chewing gum or the patch or whatever, but it is saying I've got to deal with my own weakness by giving myself notes. And, um, I, I have at times had my wife wink at me when I've said the same thing three times, you know, and she go, oh, I did, did I do that again? <laughs> and she, she, she knows to help me. And, uh, and as I said, there, if I'm 
if I know my own weakness, for most of it's going to, for a few of us, it's going to slow. But for most of us, it's going to fast. That we can actually write notes in our material to ourselves to tell us, smile, slow down. Actually, I never tell people to slow down. Do you know that? Have, have I said that within this to you before? I never tell people to slow, down, to, to slow down because when they slow down, they'll drop their energy. So instead I say, underline or plan to say certain things with emphasis. Because if you say things with emphasis, you'll slow down to do it, but you'll do it with energy. If all you do is tell the preacher to slow down, they'll drop their energy. And so instead you try to say, emphasize keywords or emphasize that thought. And when you tell people to emphasize something, they will slow down, but they will do it with emphasis and therefore with energy. So telling people to slow down, particularly starting preachers, usually hurts them because they'll drop their energy in order to slow down instead of saying key things with emphasis. That'll help them more. So let me ask you some more specific questions that we as preachers deal with. Let's say you're one of those oddballs who preach too slow. <laughs> we will not identify they're all in Texas, but go ahead. Well, I'm uh, dealing with you know my own pulpit here when I say, what, what if your pace isn't fast enough? How do you pick up the pace? Well, it's, it's really the same, the same method. Um, I, first of all, I think you, if you know you're preaching too slowly, I think to identify that as a problem comes when either you know, somebody who loves you or you watching your own sermon recognize, wow, that's, that really drags. That, that, you know, I'm wanting to say things with power, but instead it's just so slow it's hard to keep hanging in there and paying attention to what I'm saying. Again, my, my encouragement is usually to say, Say these things with emphasis. People who speak too slowly are usually ruminating as they're going. They're kind of thinking about what they're saying as they're saying it. So to preempt the ruminating process, you have to prepare for it. And you prepare for it like, like so many things. Um, you, you, you think, well, I should just wing it here. You know, the really great preachers can wing it, so I'll just wing it. So, well, actually, the really great preachers practice a lot. And so it's ahead of time, knowing what you want to say with real emphasis and, and fervor and planning for it and identifying the part of your sermon that you want to emphasize. And if you're, if you're slow of speech, then recognize you, you can't plan for the whole sermon to be spoken with fervor and zeal, but identify two or three portions, just, just two or three portions. And your own speech pattern and body will find that rhythm of how to say things with energy and fervor, not by planning for the whole sermon. If that's not your personality, that won't help. But to say, you know, this particular three paragraphs, I'm going to say with all the energy and, and, and thrust that I can. And when I get toward the end of the message and I'm concluding, because uh, the great temptation when we're concluding and we're tired and they're tired is to slow down and say things with less energy at the very point that it should be the most energy is to write the note in your message, say, with energy or with fervor, with zeal and and plan for it. So it's the old story, Rob, again, you're, you're in this podcast that's training so many preachers. And, you know, it's the old story of the, the highly effective preacher and uh, young guys gathered around me one day and said, you know, how do you preach such powerful sermons? 
and the people gathered around him because they really wanted to hear. And he said, well, you know, I practice about two hours on Saturday going through the message. And, and then on, on Saturday evening, I read through again. On Sunday morning, I get up about four in the morning and I, and I go through the sermon again out loud. And, and the longer he talked, the more the crowd dissipated <laughs> because they didn't want to hear that it's hard work and it's preparation and it's practice. I mean, I, I, I grew up in St. Louis, and so, you know, my, my favorite shortstop of, of all time was Ozzie Smith, you know, who won, I think, like 12 gold gloves. And uh, despite his great skill, he would show up at the ballpark, 7 o'clock game, he would show up at the ballpark at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and he would take 100 grounders every day. He would take 100. He's the best in baseball, but he takes 100 grounders every day to make sure his, his reflexes are there. The best preachers practice. Now, granted, I don't practice as much now as I did when I was in my 20s, but in my 20s and 30s, I went through every sermon multiple times, and if I had a problem, I would identify it and try to work on it. And it, it, we, we are committed to explaining the Word of God with all the skill and gifts that God gives us but one of those gifts is hard work. So going through the message uh, repeatedly and working out the rough spots is our obligation to the Lord and to his people. So it, it sometimes it's just hard work. And, and it, you're, I, I sometimes think people are embarrassed to think I've got to do hard work to, to, get, to get a good sermon. And I say, well, listen, the best preachers worked hard. They really worked hard. And our great embarrassment at time is to go hear somebody who's, you know, this wonderful reputation of a preacher and in their senior years, go listen to them and kind of go, man, that wasn't very good today. Well, what happened? Well, somebody began to rest on their laurels instead of doing the hard work. So it's hard work. And, it, and, and that you, you shouldn't be embarrassed to say, I've got to work hard. And, you know, the best preachers work hard. And they, they, there are a few. There are very few who are just the natural, gifted Stand in the pulpit at the drop of a hat and do an amazing message. There are those people, but that's not most of us. And it's 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 no mark against you to just say I got to work hard at this, and it'll help you. It will really help you to get past some of the rough spots. Well, we're past your hard work here on the Verse by Verse Preaching Podcast, and as we come to a close, we find ourselves in the lightning round in which that you're struck with three questions. Uh, they don't hurt as bad as they sound. And if you would mind to answer them in a single sentence. <laughs> Rob, I really failed at this last time. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of like the show Whose Line Is It Anyway, where the points don't matter and the rules are made up. So that's kind of how this works. So question number one, give us another book recommendation for preaching and preachers, maybe in polishing delivery. Uh, well, I, I would look at Zach S. Wine's Imperfect Preacher because it helps be. Now, see, I've gone more than a sentence. Zach S. Wine, The Imperfect Preacher. <laughs> nice. So as you are in some kind of a period of transition in your between ministries at press time. What do you do for fun? I fish. See, that was a sentence. <laughs> do you catch anything? Bonus question. Uh, by the Lord's grace, I do catch things. <laughs> and question number three, the infamous difficult question is cereal classified as soup why or why not cereal is not soup 
Cereal is cereal. <laughs> it's got crunch in it or it's not good. Soup, if it's got crunch in it, it's not good. Well, Dr. Brian Chapel for cereal, we have enjoyed your time with us today on the Verse by Verse Preaching Podcast. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Rob. Good to be with you. Thank you for listening to the Verse by Verse Preaching Podcast. You can find us online at goversebyverse.com.